Hey guys, welcome to the first episode of my new podcast, Adapt. This podcast, along with my new newsletter, is going to document my pursuits of new talents, from music to cooking to workouts and a whole bunch more. In this first episode, I sit down with my best friend of the last 15 plus years, we're getting old, Dano, uh, to talk about the earth-shattering news that neither of us saw coming and the fallout that followed. Danny's openness and positivity from diagnosis to recovery was amazing for me to watch, and so I wanted to record this as the first episode of the podcast because for anybody that saw how Danny handled this, he put on a masterclass in handling adversity. I will say a couple things before we get started. Number one, get checked. This is always something you think can't happen to you. It can. Get checked. Number two, if you're someone who has been diagnosed, uh, I hope this conversation with Danny and his experience will provide you with a little bit more clarity on what to expect and give you the insights you need to beat this fucker. If you know somebody who has been diagnosed, I hope this will provide some insights into what they might be thinking and feeling at each stage of the journey and maybe give you a better handle on the best things you can do to support them. Number four, if you're struggling to stay sane and positive during quarantine or really you're going through any other type of adversity, I think Danny's advice will provide you with the strength and calm you need to overcome. I'll wrap up this intro by reading a poem that was Danny's mantra throughout his recovery process, and that consequently we both have tattooed on us somewhere. It goes like this. The devil whispers to the warrior, you're not strong enough to withstand the storm. The warrior whispers back, I am the storm. Please enjoy this espresso-fueled conversation with the wild card himself, Danny Travis. You're listening to a podcast I produce for subscribers of my new newsletter, Adapt, which documents my pursuit of new talents including songwriting, artificial intelligence, cancer recovery, starting businesses, cooking, wine appreciation, and whatever else strikes my fancy. Subscribers get access to this and future episodes in their favorite podcast app, limited edition products in the online shop, and monthly giveaways that raise money for some of our favorite charities. To me, being human is about being more than one thing. So if you've got some time and want to broaden your horizons, click the green subscribe button on your screen to subscribe for free and tell me what you want to learn about at seanj.net. All right, new podcast and guest number one is who else but the wild card himself. DT, what's going on, man? Hey, how are you, buddy? Good, man, good. Tell me about that uh, espresso you're sipping on. Oh, this is pretty much what I what I start every morning with since this quarantine has kicked off. I need a little something to, to energize me. Juice it a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> S- sip this from about 8 o'clock in the morning till 2 in the afternoon. You vacuuming in any walls yet? Oh, absolutely. Every day. (laughs) So I wanted to, obviously, most people listening to this know what you went through with your cancer diagnosis. And you were really open throughout the whole process. And with something that is so personal, I saw you make very specific efforts to be open about everything that was going on. Why did you feel that was important? You know, so initially going into everything and, you know, getting the diagnosis, it was, I think I was really looking for, you know, some, some supports around me Mm -hmm. and making sure that other people know that even like a young, young guy such as myself 
can get this type of diagnosis and just like to let everyone know that I fully intend on beating this thing. Yeah. So, you know, part of being open was just number one, you know, we have a, we have a huge group around us of, of people who, you know, love us and care about us. So letting them know that, you know, I I'm in good spirits and I'll be all right. What was definitely part of it. But another part of it was definitely the, Hey, you know, this can happen. And this just got real. This being life, this being cancer. So that, that, that was definitely kind of why I wanted to be so open and, and transparent with, with everything. It is, it is totally one of those things that you never think will happen to you or somebody you care about until it does. And then it's just like, it was just like a complete rocking of, of I'm sure your world. I know my world. Yeah. Um, it's like, Oh shit, this, this can actually happen to people I know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like it all started with <laughs> as weird as this is like, so a couple of years ago I got into hunting and obviously October, November are, are big hunting months up here in upstate New York with, with bow season, gun season. And, you know, I, I, I love hunting for, for the sake of hunting, but I also love it for like the meditative a- aspect of it. And it's it really cool. gives you time, like in your mind out in nature, just like, you know, thinking about who you are, where you are in this world and things like that. And, and, and that's what I really enjoyed about it. And, and shockingly, when I first started experiencing like the pain of the cancer was when I was out hunting and, yeah. and I, I don't think, I, I don't know if I would have been so proactive with it if I didn't have that time out in the woods with myself, with my thoughts to go in and like take the steps necessary to figure out that I had this. Yeah, it would have been easy, especially if you were like super distracted. It would have been something easy to kind of sweep under the rug and yeah. ignore for a while. Yeah, I mean, and, and what I've realized and what I think a lot of people fall fall to is just, you know, this rat race that everyone's living in and everything move, moving so fast around you and just slowing down and forcing yourself to slow down specifically in that moment is I think why I was able to catch it early, which is so important with cancer. But that, that was, I I really think that's why I was able to catch it early. It was that time in the woods time with myself and my thoughts that, that forced me to go in and, and, you know, take care of myself. Yeah. Well, that's, that's part of kind of why I wanted to have this, this conversation was one to remind people like, Hey, this can happen to you. And it's something that you have to pay attention to. But I also thought, you know, this conversation would be kind of a good way to do a deep dive on, you know, you were really open throughout the whole process on social media and things like that. But this might be a really good way to do a little bit deeper of a dive on what it was like, how you beat it, you know, what you learned from it. So tell me about like you were, so you were, you were hunting, is that that's when you knew something was wrong? 
<laughs> yeah. So it was actually, <clears throat> it, it was like a typical really cold November day up here. And I had been experiencing some pain and discomfort. And I, I thought, you know, I've been layering up and, you know, <laughs> wearing these tight underwear and, you know, thermals and things like that. And I was just like, man, this is so uncomfortable. So finally, I took the time and made the call to my doctor and, you know, went in and, and got checked out. And, and I, I knew right away that it was, it, it was something more serious than anything I had experienced in the past. Cause it was just like, a, it was a new pain. It was a different place. It was just, di- just a different feeling. Yeah. So when I went into the doctor, I pretty much requested right off the bat an ultrasound. Okay. And it was the ultrasound that ended up detecting the tumors. So, so, so why did you go, why did you go in and request an ultrasound right off the bat? I could feel the tumors. I could see the tumors and I knew that just something wasn't right. Yeah. And you know, in this type of situation and being exposed to, you know, different parts of the medical field in the past with my kidney disease, I just knew they'll be able to detect what the tumor is and what kind of like what's forming the tumor through ultrasounds, through blood tests and through like CT scans. So, so kind of after, after you were you were hunting, you felt kind of like this pain and, and discomfort. And at that point you kind of knew like there's, I have tumors. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I knew that, you know, it just, (laughs) I got, I guess to get personal, like it just is large. Like, (laughs) (laughs) like the the size of a peach. Yeah. I mean, you know, what, when it fits in the palm of your hand, you know, something's wrong. <laughs> so, so ultimately that, that's what kind of drove me to go to the doctor to get the ultrasound. And then kind of, kind of the next step of this was, you know, I, I'm in the ultrasound room and it's taking so long. And I'm just like, man, this is, this is weird for th- th- That's when I was like, all right, something's definitely wrong that, you know, yeah. an ultrasound for an area so small, is taking well over an hour. Yeah. And the radiologist, you know, would leave the room and come back and leave the room and come back. And you, you could tell that they were asking questions about was the imaging correct? And would that be enough? You know? Yeah. That hour you're sitting there for that hour of, you know, kind of waiting what's going through your mind at that point. <laughs> I mean, it, it's an extremely kind of awkward, uncomfortable situation at the time. But I'm just laying there, you know, trying to keep my mind relaxed and just hoping for, I don't, I don't even know. You're at the point where you want it to be something else, but you don't know what else it could be. Yeah. So so it's just this unknown. And, and and early on, it's the unknown that, that I believe is the, the scariest part. So, yeah, you know, I'm laying there just thinking, like, 
I, I don't know what it is. What else could it be? Your, your mind is racing, but at the same time, I'm just trying to, you know, stay calm and, you know, trust the process. So you sat you're you're laying there for the hour trying, you know, to, to keep your cool, which I imagine wouldn't be an easy thing to do. And then what happened when they came in? So I got a call from my doctor probably within an hour. I, I got a call before I even got back home. And and my house is only 15 minutes from, from the hospital. So I found out I was sitting in my truck. And I was just like, wow, this is going to be, you know, a life altering experience. Yeah. And, and it was still this unknown as to, you know, all right, what's the next step? What type of cancer is it? Has the cancer spread? Things like this. And, and at this point, I don't, I, I guess I got to take a step back. I didn't know it was cancer at this point. I just, it was a tumor. Okay. But, you know, immediately your mind goes to, you hear tumor, you hear growth, you hear any of those things, you start thinking cancer. Of course. Yeah. Right. So, you know, my mind goes to all of those things and and I have no idea what the next step is. Did they give you any indication of what the next step is or? So the next step was ultimately, well, you know, personally it was, all right, how do I break this news to my wife who I had just gotten married to last year? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you guys have been married, what, like six months? Yeah, six months. I mean, it was, you know, that was difficult. And then how do I break it to my mom? <laughs> yeah. That was, that was even more difficult. So, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it was that process of, how do I, how do I deal with this personally, but also how do I deal with this through like the medical standpoint of following the process, trusting the process, finding the doctors that, that I need. So th- there were different fronts to it. Yeah. And I, I tried to kind of shift my, my thought process and my focus to when I'm dealing with it socially, when I'm dealing with it medically and when yeah. I'm dealing with it like personally. Yeah. Kind of compartmentalize a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess let's talk about, about those. Like what was, what was your kind of, I guess, strategy for lack of a better word for breaking the news to Jackie and or breaking the news to your mom? How did you do that? So, you know, breaking the news to Jackie was just kind of like, well, this is, this is the news I got. And it was difficult. But breaking the news to my mom was, I, I actually, <laughs> I, I texted my dad first. And I was like, okay. dad, I just found out I have a tumor. How do I tell mom? <laughs> so. Yeah. What was his advice? He, he was just kind of like, you know, do what you have to do. Cause there's, this was the day before Thanksgiving. So it was like the whole family getting together. So. Yeah. I remember, I think it was that night you called me 
and just being absolutely floored. Yeah. Like, the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. This doesn't yeah. happen to us. So at that point, Crazy. yeah. So at that point, you know, you know, you have a tumor, you don't know whether it's cancerous or not yet, but obviously that's where your mind kind of goes. How were you thinking about it at that time? You know, like you, you kind of mentioned dealing with it personally. How are you dealing with that kind of uncertainty? So at the time it was, it was very much so just the fear of the unknown. Like I have no idea what to expect. I don't know how they deal with this. You know, I'm hopeful of, oh, they can go in, remove this benign tumor and I'll go about my life, you know? Right. And then on the other side and, you know, just my natural uh, reaction is, all right, I have to research everything that this could be. And then Obviously, you, you start researching and, you, and you're online and, and you're finding, you know, worst case scenario. Right. And at the time, it was to my knowledge of, okay, worst case scenario is testicular cancer. And, you know, you j- just like anything else, as you dive deeper into whatever it is that you're looking at, you discover there are just so many layers to everything. And, and that's the same case for, for this, for, you know, the cancer that it could be that, you know, there's, there's numerous different types of cancer that can be each cancer can affect you differently. Each cancer can spread to different places and pretty much what helps determine that is your blood markers, which they, which they start taking, you know, soon thereafter, uh, yeah. the, the detection of the tumor. So. so it seems like, you know, obviously the, the biggest issue, the biggest fear is just kind of comes from that unknown of, I don't know what, where this is going to go, what this is. So oh, it yeah. seems like kind of your a reaction to that was just get as educated as you possibly can try to remove as much of the unknown as you can. Yep. Just by looking, looking things up. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, soon thereafter, I I had a, I had an appointment scheduled with a urologist and pretty much they started sifting through what type of cancer it is and how they're going to deal with it. So how long was the period between, you know, you have a tumor, how did they go from, you know, from there to knowing it was cancerous and how long was that period of time? So I found out it was a tumor the day before Thanksgiving 2019, went through Thanksgiving, Black Friday, that weekend, um, trying to keep things as normal as possible. And then I believe it was the following Tuesday that I got the call that, you know, the, the blood numbers came back and that I needed to go see a urologist. So went to see a urologist, urologist, you know, check, checks me out, checks my blood numbers and my blood markers and pretty much just said, you're a 29 year old male and you have 
testicular cancer. Wow. So yeah, it, it was about a six day turnaround from finding the tumor to giving me a, you know, early diagnosis of what it is. What did it feel like? What was going through your mind when you heard, when you got the diagnosis officially? Uh, shockingly, it was more eased my mind more than when I found out I just had a tumor. Because <laughs> you're now, like now you've defined the problem, right? Yeah. Like this is the problem. We know how to, de- you know, we know how to deal with this. Yeah. And that was, so, that was Dr. O that gave you that, right? Yeah. Dr. O. Yeah. I remember you talking about, talk about Dr. O. Cause you, you seem to, I, and I, I met this guy. He was, he was a cool dude. Yeah. Yeah. Doc, Dr. O was the man. I mean, I go to uh, my urologist and you know, I'm sitting there in the waiting room and, and I'm the youngest guy in this waiting room by, 30, 40 years, you know? Jesus. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm already at this point. <laughs> 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 and, you know, it's just, it's a place where you know nobody wants to be there. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so I'm sitting in the waiting room. I get the call back. I'm sitting there. I brought my wife and, you know, we're just kind of talking about everything. And, and I'm at the point now where I'm trying to ease her mind. I'm trying to ease, you know, my family just kind of, you know, everything will be okay. And I I just wanted to learn what what the heck was going on. So, you know, Dr. Onox the door comes in and, and he's just kind of like this, this bigger, dude that walks in and you can tell he's just dealt with this, these issues before. And he pretty much is just like, all right, man, drop them. <laughs> just <laughs> real casual. And I'm like, okay. Nice and, to and meet granted, you too. Yeah. <laughs> and, and granted, like at the time I'm like, all right, this is so weird. And, and after going through the whole process, it just becomes like so normal. Yeah. So he pretty much, you know, does his, does what he has to do, checks everything out and, and then, you know, pops up and he's just like, you're a 29 year old male, you have testicular cancer and, and, and we're going to beat this thing. And I was just like, okay, perfect. It was like that mentality that I think really helped with the, with just like the, the feeling that I had moving forward from that point on. What do you mean, that Dr. O's mentality? Yeah, his mentality. And, and I think his mentality, along with like my own, really meshed yeah. in terms of, you know, b- both understanding like, here's the problem, we're going to fix the problem, and then you're going to, you know, move on and live a normal life. Yeah. So I remember you, you saying that you really <clears throat> liked the way, in, in a weird way, you liked the way that he told you. And kind of like broke the news. What did you like? Why? Why? Why did you like the way he did that? I mean, I feel like when you're going to break that type of news to someone, there's like, you know, your Hollywood style of like the somber moment of, you know, a doctor looking down and then making eye contact with you and looking down and just, you know, breaking this disappointing news to you. And it's just 
A doctor who is educated and understands the reality of dealing with this type of, uh, with this type of cancer, just like, Hey, this is what it is. And we're going to fix this problem. It was just, it was nice. It was, it was nice to get just like a straight shooter. Here it is. And, and let's fix it. Yeah. So, and, and then it also, you know, he let off like a sense of confidence with it because when he said that, it was like, Oh, well, it sounds like, you know, just the way that you spoke it to me, it sounds like this is normal. And you know, yeah, I'm not alone here and, and things like that. So. Yeah. So much of the, the scary part of all of it is just the, the unknown and the uncertainty. And it sounds like he just removed a lot of that by saying, here's exactly what it is. And and then we're going to beat it. Period. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. What was the next step after, after that? So the next step was checking, checking my blood markers again. And, you know, anyone who's gone through, through this or who's gone through any type of cancer diagnosis, there's, there's blood markers that will ultimately determine or help determine the type of cancer and kind of like where you currently stand. So they check uh, your HCG they check your LDH and they check your AFP. And, you know, obviously each of those have some long medical terminology that goes along with them, but those ultimately were to help determine how quickly action needed to be taken. And just to get kind of like baselines of, okay, where, where's my blood at with where my blood markers at with the cancer. And then, Obviously, after the surgery and things like that, they would take them again to ensure that those that that cancer is gone. Yeah. So so that was part of it. And then also just scheduling the surgery and, you know, getting on the books and and getting the problem taken care of. Yeah. So did he tell you right away, like, you have testicular cancer, we're going to beat this thing and you need surgery? Yeah. Yeah. And luckily a friend, a friend of ours is, uh, you know, Stefan Mm -hmm. who gave me an idea before going into this, this appointment gave me an idea of how they deal with it. And he was like, yeah, like they don't go in and just try to remove the tumors. Like they'll just take the whole thing. And I was like, Whoa. So, so when he (laughs) told me, (laughs) so when Dr. O told me kind of the process that they're going to take and, what the procedure looks like. I I wasn't shocked. I was pretty well prepared for that. And he, he pretty much said like, yeah, we want, we want to get you on the books as soon as possible. And and we want to get this taken care of. So from the day that I found out I had a tumor to the day of my surgery was 13 days. Yeah. That's a crazy quick turnaround, huge turnaround. So, so you had, that was amazing. Yeah. So what was, what was it like going into surgery? So I, I mean, there's this whole, there's this whole process that I went through. It was like, get the surgery scheduled. And then, you know, you, you get a call the day before ensuring that your, that your surgery's still on. And then, you know, you can't eat or drink after a certain time. And then, you know, you go in for your surgery, you gotta, you gotta sign like, your healthcare proxy in case anything goes wrong, you know, who do we discuss all these issues with 
you know, and I'm sitting there with Jackie <laughs> who we had just gotten married six months before, as I said earlier. And it's just like, man, she did not sign up for this. <laughs> <laughs> really putting her through the ringer, man. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you have all those conversations with, you know, the health healthcare uh, professionals and then they like, get you in your gown, they hook you up to your IV and, and then, you know, you're good to go. So yeah. I remember like laughing. We actually ran into when I got to the hospital, like the day of your surgery, I ran into John Daniel's sister, Sarah, who was working yeah. there. And she like took me back to your, your area. And I remember all the nurses being like, how does this kid have so many people here? There was like, it's like me, your parents, Jackie, Jackie's mom. It, yeah. it was like, we had, you had like 10 people crowded around your, <laughs> your bed waiting to go into surgery. Oh, it was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, I mean, I mean, again, just just to go off of the of like the timing thing of getting married and this happening. Like, here's Jackie's mom and aunt who you know I'm I'm married into their family for only a couple months, and here they are staring at me in this gown while I, you know, sign my right leg to make sure that they take the right one. <laughs> <laughs> just like yeah, you know, get, getting real personal here. Yeah. Well, I remember Dr. O, your dad was laughing at, you know, Dr. O came in beforehand and he was kind of, you know, making sure everything's all set, talking to everybody, talking to you, how you doing? And then, you know, he was kind of just like, all right, I got to go take this guy's prostate out. I'll be back in like 45 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) Your dad being like, he's talking about this, like he's changing this guy's oil. (laughs) (laughs) He was just like, it's like, what? (laughs) Could you believe that? 45 minutes? Just going to pop this guy's prostate out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you get, you get wheeled back, you go through surgery, you know, coming out. Oh, you got to tell the story of, of coming out of surgery. Like when you wake up. Oh yeah. So, so coming out of surgery. So before you go in, you know, they put you on some, some meds that are a little bit like sedative that kind of make you a little woozy. And then the anesthesiologist comes in and, and gives you the medicine to really put you out. And apparently, you know, the sedative drugs just kept me out for well over the the time needed for, for Dr. O and, and the nurses to do what they had to do. So I start coming back to, and I'm sitting in the middle of the, of the OR and, you know, I've got doctors and nurses around me and, <laughs> and I see Dr. O and I just, I look at him like, Dr. O, you're the man. And I start, you know, cheering him on. <laughs> and, you know, I, I didn't know any of this that I did uh, yeah. while in the OR, after the OR. Um, this was all, you know, told to me <laughs> during my follow-up appointment <laughs> with Dr. O. But, but he said I was like slapping five and, <laughs> and cheering him on as, as they rolled me out into the, the recovery room. <laughs> yeah, he loved you, man. Oh yeah. I was, I was his biggest fan. Yeah. So, well, I mean that, and that is one thing that I was really impressed with, with you throughout this whole process is obviously there's ups and downs with all of it, but relative to what was going on, you were so positive throughout the whole thing. And you were, you know, the first one to like crack jokes about yourself and, uh, and, and the whole deal how did you do that? And what do you attribute that to? 
obviously part of that is, is, you know, the way I was raised or growing up and, and just, you know, problems that I've dealt with in the past, but you you realize like, and, and I realized that process would have been so much worse had I dealt with it with this like negative persona. Yeah. And if I went like, you know, cancer first, where I really just tried to focus on recovery first. And and I still get it where, you know, being what, five, five months out of the first surgery, people asking about the cancer and how are you doing and, and this and that, where I think the right question would be to how is recovery? Yeah. You know? Yeah, um, you were much more focused on the recovery part of it than... Than the cancer part of it. Yeah. What, which, like today, sitting down and having this conversation, I haven't really gone back to look at the cancer part of it until now. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah, um, you've been just focused on recovery the whole time. I'm, yeah, I'm strictly recovery. Yeah. Like, like people ask me, how are you doing? You know, they want to talk about the cancer or whatever. And I've almost compartmentalize the cancer to a point where I don't even want it to be part of my life. <laughs> if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. I really just want to focus on the growth since. Was that a conscious decision that, that you made? It seems like it was to, to through the whole process. Anytime you found yourself focusing on the cancer, kind of rearranging your mind or refocusing your mind on the recovery. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I think it was, it was a conscious effort for me. And I think it was also a conscious effort for, for how to present it to the people around me and, and like, yeah. you know, the people I care about. Cause I think it really helps ease those around me. And, and I don't know why I was so worried about them. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it, it, in the grand scheme, it's like, man, you should really be focused on yourself. But at the same point, it's like, I don't want this unnecessary stress on Jackie, on my family, on you and, you know, friends around me and things like that. Yeah. Well, that's a big burden to carry. Yeah. At at the time it was kind of like, all right, here's something that I can kind of force my mind to do. And, and everything worked out well. Was there anything kind of like during that period of time or even since that you tried to, repeat to yourself do you have any like kind of mantras or self-talk that you were uh, you would focus on or kind of kept top of mind so at the time and as you know i am the storm is is like definitely the mantra i had going in and (laughs) this i think i discovered this just like on a google search of like all right mentality like, what, what do I want my mantra to be moving forward? How, how will I be able to, like, determine the best way to deal with this? And, and like you said, a mantra is definitely the, the best thing to do. And I think it was really just like saying, I'm storm. I'm going to, like, the storm isn't affecting me. I am what it is. Yeah. And can you can you tell the the because it's from the, it's the last line of a poem? Can you 
tell the poem just so people have a an idea. Yeah, yeah. So, so the poem is ultimately the devil whispers in the person's ear, "You can't weather the storm," and the person whispers back, "I am the storm." And it's just that mentality of, <laughs> you know, like fuck you, fuck you. I'm gonna handle this how I want to handle it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm in the driver's seat here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and which, you know, you, you absolutely are. It's just like that, that mentality of like, you can do whatever the hell you want to do. And, and like, you can really force yourself to take whichever path it is that you need to take to beat this or, or like really anything. Right. Yeah. Like, like lately I've been trying to, to go on runs and and like, as soon as you start experiencing pain in your run or pain in a, in a lift or like something physical, you're just like, this is fucking nothing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Relative to what I've beaten. Yeah. And and it's like, what, what, this is like a little, a little bit of pain. Like I can endure this because you think back to the time that you're, you know, you're going through for me, you know, I think back to the time that I was, I was laid up on my couch and and couldn't run because of the surgery or couldn't walk well or things like this. It's just like, all I wanted to do at that point was this, you know, and and now that you have the ability to do this, you're not going to do it. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) it's just like that mentality that I think is important you know, moving forward for me, but you know, I think a lot of people would benefit from that. Yeah. No, I think I can see that's something that you've, you've carried over afterwards and started to kind of point it at different things. So after the surgery, ultimately the option of chemo was put on the table. Yeah. Can you talk about that? What was put on the table? Why was it put on the table and, and how did you go about, or how were you thinking about making that decision? So ultimately chemo is put on the table as an option to proactively attack the cancer. If, if it had by any chance spread. And I guess before we get into the chemo part, I, I want to share like the, the pathology report. I'm not sure oh, if yeah. you remember the pathology report. Oh, I remember. The, yeah, so, definitely. So pathology report. I mean, I think part of it, part of it, all of this, that anyone could take away is like really advocate for yourself and take handle of whatever situation you're put in, whether it be health wise, life, social, whatever, like you need to be your own best advocate. So I get the surgery, I'm going through the recovery. And at this point, we're all waiting for the pathology report to see the type of cancer, the staging of the cancer, and if the cancer had spread. So anyone that has any understanding of testicular cancer or, or just cancers in general, the fear is always that it's spread to another, another place in the body. Or, you know, in most cases, once it gets to lymph nodes, it can be, you know, critical that you handle it early from that point on. So, so for this cancer, ultimately, the first place that it would go after detection would be the lymph nodes. Then from the lymph nodes, it can go to the lungs and from the lungs, it can go to the brain. So through the pathology report, they could ultimately determine the stage and see if it had spread or if there's a 
possibility of it spreading to other areas. So I'm reading the pathology report. And at this point, I'm feeling very educated on all the subject matter that's kind of been thrown into the into the mixer on testicular cancer. And I'm reading this pathology report and it's just contradictory and it's not clear. And I'm just really confused about what it says. And, and this is this is Christmas night. And I'm just like questioning it and thinking like, wow, there's definitely an error in this report. So, so what was it that didn't add up? So it was all, it, it ultimately came down to apparently cancers are, there are these pathologists when they're, when they're staging cancers, things are in a drop down box. And this, you know, this is what really drove me crazy was like some of these drop down boxes in my charts were different than what had been said previously in the report. So you were kind of like reading, reading the report. And then there's like a drop down box of like, this is what the summary of all this is that X. this is, the, yeah, that this is the stage, right? And so you were looking at those stage. two things and they didn't, they yeah. weren't saying the same thing. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm reading, uh, I've got a PDF pulled up on the book on testicular cancer. I'm reading what it means to be staged here, what it means to be staged here. And I'm just comparing the charts that were provided through my pathology report with what this book says. And it's not, it's not matching up. So the next day, you know, the pathologist's name is at the bottom of the report. And I'm just like, I'm just going to call her and, 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 you know, see, <laughs> see if this is right. And I don't, I don't know if pathologists deal with patients that often yeah. because I get a hold of this lady, like first call, no messages, no just a secretary put me right in contact with her. So I gave her, you know, the, the number of my report and I told her, Hey, I've got some, some questions about this. I think there might be an error in the staging. I was just wondering if you would go over the pathology report with me. And she's like, yeah, of course, pulls it up. She's reading through, reading through. And, and pretty much like right where I pointed out, I was like, you know, there's errors in these two sections. Like, is that an error or, like, did you see something that I didn't? And the pathologist ends up going back in and amending the report because she had made an error and, and ultimately told me it was due to a drop-down box when it came to staging. So um, what was the stage she had it at? Like, what was the, the initial report said it was what? So the initial report was a stage one, which means it was completely confined to that space. It didn't move. There was no data to support that there was any type of invasion to other areas of the body. So basically that would mean like you got the surgery, it didn't go anywhere else. You're done. Yeah. And, and I'd be done. So, so it went from, Hey, this is done. I beat this thing from beginning to end. I've beat cancer in 13 days to, Hey, now there's this uncertainty. So then luckily I caught it before I met with an oncologist and before my next meeting with my urologist. So the, the report had been amended to say there's lymphovascular invasion and it really helped those doctors determine what the best next steps are. And obviously it helped me determine what I wanted to do moving forward. Yeah. So it, it changed, essentially changed like what the right thing to do moving forward was. Yeah. Absolutely. Had, had you, had you not caught that, 
you would have proceeded as if everything was done without knowing that there's still risks going on, still things you yeah. need to deal with. Yep. 100%. So again, like you just got, you got to advocate. If you think you see something wrong ever, you've just, you got to take charge of, of your health and, and make sure that okay. things are, things are correct. After you caught that and called them out, and I give you a lot of credit throughout this whole thing is you were hammering the phones. You oh, were yeah. relentless on the phone talking, you know, picking up the phone and calling the pathologist or calling, yeah. you know, the, you know, the doctors or any sort of anybody that yeah. if there was anything that you were not quite sure about or wanted to get scheduled and hadn't been scheduled yet, you were yeah. just relentless on the phone. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I became so fixated on the recovery yeah, and wanting it to be fast and wanting it to be over that yeah. it was pretty much all I was able to truly focus on. Yeah. Yeah. The recovery became like a very, like a singleness of purpose for you. Absolutely. Yeah. So at that point you catch the, the error in the pathology report and then from there, what happened? So that changed the staging. So that changes the staging that changes ultimately my next step. So it went from no chemo to now I have three options. I could go for active surveillance I could go for chemo or I could go for radiation. Okay. So um, what, did, what are the pros and cons of, of each of those? So active surveillance is ultimately, all right, we're going to just let this thing ride it out. You're going to be going in for appointments every three or six months, kind of what, whatever they would have determined. You'd be getting CT scans. You'd be getting blood tests. And then you'd have a follow-up to determine what it is. And the other option, obviously, was the chemo. And after discussing with my oncologist, he said, you know, you would be hit with pretty much one uh, session of chemo. And then, and then you'd be done. Or the radiation option, which I pretty much dropped off the table almost immediately, was, was radiation, which can also lead to cancers kind of popping up in different spots later on. So radiation was gone. Active surveillance after thinking about it was kind of, yeah, I could watch this every three months, but every three months I'd be going through that stressful situation of, is it back? Yeah. And then the chemo was here. You'll get hit with a dose of chemo and that dose of chemo will improve your chances of five-year survival by like 15%. Yeah. So I just took it as, okay, my most proactive approach would be the uh, chemo. Well, and I know, remember you and I talking about it, and I know for for me and you kind of talked about it too, I, at least like the first place my mind would go is even just the mental side of, like you said, you know, having to, to circle back around every three months and being constantly worried about what they're going to find would drive me insane. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just didn't see it as, I mean, I, I mentally, I think I could have dealt with it, but I didn't see it as my proactive option. Right. So maybe tell the, the story of right before you were making that decision, 
Saturday morning after paddle, you're just kind of like, hey, Sean, I'm thinking that we maybe go get a tattoo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What Did we? I mean, sometimes I look back and, and some of it all just blurs together. But yeah, did, did we get the tattoo? Yeah, we got it before before the chemo. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think I'd been pretty well recovered from this first surgery, I guess, well enough that I was out playing paddle. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I was, I was just like, man, you know, I've, I've been stuck in the arm and stuck in the hand with so many needles over the last month. I was like, I better have something to show for this. <laughs> just like a midday Saturday. I was like, yeah, I've been researching some tattoo shops. Let's go, let's go get some ink. And I think you're kind of like, man, like I, I didn't really fully think this through, but you know, you're kind of putting me on the spot here. <laughs> yeah, fuck it, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we, we went to the one tattoo parlor and, and, you know, for the, for those of you that don't know us, we ended up getting the, I am the storm mantra, but we went to one tattoo parlor. They were like, Oh, you know, we're pretty booked up, but we'll, we'll go to this other one. And the other tattoo parlor was uh, actually right below Sean's apartment building. It's the first floor of my building. I didn't even know. It was yeah. There. Yeah. And, 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 you know, shockingly never been in this place, never heard of this place. It was called the have hope tattoo. Yeah we go in and they're like, yeah, you know, all our tattoo artists are booked up, but, but we've got this apprentice if if you <laughs> trust him to tattoo you. And I'm, I'm at the point, I'm like, fuck it. I just want a tattoo. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. You were me. They were like, yeah, you know, we got an apprentice that, you know, we don't, all of our artists are, are taken, but we got an apprentice that could do it. And you didn't even hesitate. You didn't skip a beat. You're yeah. just like, Oh yeah, he's got it. Yeah. Yeah. He's got it. <laughs> For sure. So, yeah. Yeah, man. It was funny. Yeah. Got tattooed. I think, I think I had my, I think we went to my niece's birthday that evening too. We did. We did. <laughs> everyone was asking was like, to see our tattoos. Yeah. Everyone's, everyone's like, you're running late. You're running late. You're running late. I'm like, yeah, we were at the tattoo parlor. <laughs> Meanwhile, I probably hadn't seen a lot of my extended family in yeah. like a couple months. So, you know, they were just anxious to see me and like check how I was doing. And here I am walking in with some new ink. <laughs> coming in hot with some fresh ink. Yeah. 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 That's funny. Oh, so, all right. So after that, you know, you ultimately decide to, to do the chemo. What was that process like? What was chemo like? So the process of chemo, I mean, at this point I was, I had this idea of like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm recovered. I'm, I'm good to go. Let's just do the chemo. It's going to, it's going to improve my chances. And I wasn't really scared about it at all. I I wasn't really worried about it. It was just kind of, it was the, I don't know what to expect. I don't know what it feels like to get it done or to have this injected into my blood and, you know, (laughs) killed so many cells. Um, Just getting injected with poison. Yeah. But I was just like, you know, I, I'm going to do this. And, and you know, I, I, I spoke with all my doctors about what the best way is to, to handle it, how to, how to deal with it afterwards and, and things like that. But it, it's hard to decipher what caused the discomfort from the chemo, whether it was the chemo drug or whether it was some of the other drugs that they ultimately put you on to, to kind of support you throughout like anti-nausea meds like that. Okay. 
because a lot, you know, they, they put me on like three different anti-nausea meds and they put me on a couple others that just like completely alter your, your state. I, I don't think the chemo alters your state. It's the, the, you know, the opposing drugs that they put you on that, that help with the nausea and things like that, that really like make you woozy and, and, and really can make you feel kind of crappy. Yeah. So and one other thing that you did through the whole process, like whenever you had, you didn't really know what to expect, you know, you, you found other people that had kind of gone through the same thing. Can you kind of talk about that of why you did that and how you went about talking to people? Yeah. Beyond so just your doctors. Yeah. So early on in the process, I, I was uh, put in touch with a guy out in Boston. His name's Mike. He's a good friend, a friend of mine's uh, brother-in-law and just so happened to be going through like the exact same thing at the exact same time. Like it, it was, it was freaky how closely aligned everything was with both of our diagnosis at the beginning. So, you know, I spoke with him daily via text and sometimes a couple times a week over the phone almost like checking in, checking in on one another, seeing, you know, how, how we're doing the, the process that we're going through, how we're feeling, things like that. But then, and, and then obviously like how, how recovery is. And then also like, all right, what are your next steps? What are your next steps? What are your doctors doing? What are my doctors doing? Um, almost like holding, <laughs> holding each other and each other's docs accountable for like the process. So I, I spoke with him quite a bit, still talked to him. And then I also got in touch with another guy who, who had dealt with the, this issue, you know, years ago, probably 20 years ago when he was in his 20s and like kind of the experiences that he had. So it, it was just nice to reach out and talk to people who had gone through through similar things. And, you know, you're learning about their experience they're learning about your experience and it's just really, I mean, yeah, it was just super helpful. I told people that I was interviewing you and, and asked what they wanted to know. One of them, Joey G uh, wanted to know if there were, were there any podcasts or books that helped you kind of stay mentally strong through this process? Oh yeah. Yeah. So I read and listened to um, some David Goggins who Goggins is a savage. If you don't know Goggins, you need to get to know his stuff and his work. The the guy has like 300 or 400,000 followers. Maybe he might have a couple million followers on Instagram. I don't even know. Yeah. But he doesn't follow a soul. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, it's just his big thing is like 40%. Whenever you think you've reached your full capability, you've only reached 40% of your full capability. Like you can go so much further. And he's a lunatic. And for those of you that don't know him, he's he's an ultra marathoner. He's got the record for like the most pull-ups in a day at like 4,000 something. The guy lived just a, a really rough life growing up, went into the military and, you know, just became like the ultimate warrior. <laughs> he, he was like special ops in like three different military branches, wasn't he? Yeah. Special. He was Navy SEAL, special warfare. And then he was, I think he was a green beret. Yeah. 
And he just, he, he pretty much wanted to do it just to prove to himself that he could do it. So, so that book is can't hurt me by Goggins. And, and that was really powerful. And, and I like the way that's formatted pretty much each chapter challenges you and, and, and forces you to reflect on like your life and then allows you to kind of come up with like your action plan for moving forward. So yeah. I, I read Goggins. I read a book called the energy bus. I'll have to, I'll have to get back to the author, but energy bus was great. It's just like, a, like really an outlook book on like how to, how to go about your day to day. And, and, and it's kind of told through like just a typical, typical guy who's, you know, just finding everything wrong in his life instead of finding everything right in his life. Yeah. So those are two that I recommend. I also listen to a bunch of Joe Rogan. I mean, I would jump from all different kind of interviewees on that. So that, that was always entertaining. But yeah, I think, I think the Goggins really like forced me to force me to like push myself afterwards. Cause I'd say about a month after surgery, I think I was about 23 days after surgery. I started doing the Murph challenge with you. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, screw it. Let's do it. Yeah. So, I mean, granted I'd like start throwing up in the gym parking lot afterwards, but <laughs> yeah, I almost passed out in Webster park the other day. <laughs> yeah. You're not, you're not doing it right. If you're not doing, if you're not puking. Exactly. Just get a nice drive even for uh, all the people enjoying a nice day at Webster Park. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. To kind of wrap up, I got three questions for you. One is if somebody had just recently got diagnosed or even they had a, an inkling that something might be wrong uh, and then eventually get diagnosed, what advice would you give them? I would say focus on what it takes to recover. Yeah. Focus on recovery, focus on self self-improvement and, and obviously advocate for yourself throughout the process, educate yourself on whatever it is, trust the process. And then once you've realized what that process is, focus on what you can do to recover from it. Yeah. What about if that person, if they just had gotten diagnosed, what advice would you give to their friends or family or loved ones in terms of how they should think about or handle the situation? I, th- I think it all depends on who the person is and how they typically deal with that type of situation. But definitely stay present, stay connected. Let them know that, that you're there to support them. And I mean, th- that that's huge. Yeah. Just like that support. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, I think my, I think my recovery was made easier because of the support I had around me. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. So, you know, some people, and I, and I find this now, some people don't want to reach out or they don't want to overstep their boundaries during like those types of times. But Really, like just a, just a text message or something. What was so important to me? Yeah, yeah, and even I, I think you know they, you know, the person might not even have the time or energy to respond, but even just yeah. just sending it. Like I remember when you got back from from surgery, you opened up your phone and you had like 
you know, text from like 50 or 60 people. Oh yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. yeah it was crazy. And, and, and like those texts meant everything and, and those were great. And, you know, the cards and the letters and, and, you know, gifts and things like that were amazing as well. But also, and strangely, like I had ran like random people reach out people who I haven't talked to in five, 10, 15 years being like, Hey, I've been following your story and like, it's really motivating and you know, it's pretty amazing what you're doing. Like keep doing your thing. So even if it's somebody who you haven't kept in contact with, it, it was cool to hear from those people as well. All right. Last question before we wrap up is what are you doing differently now than you were? You know, what are you, what are you carrying over from, from this experience through the cancer that, that you're continuing to do now or, or a different way you're looking at things now? Yeah. Good question. I, th- I think so much of going through that has actually helped me also deal with like this current quarantine that we're going through. Yeah where people, and and I'm guilty of this sometimes as well, like, oh, I'm so bored or I'm so, you know, I I wish I could do this or this. It's like focusing on the the little things that like bring you joy each day after going through the surgeries and the chemo and things like that. And, and, you know, coming out on the other side of it, you appreciate everything. Yeah. So I would definitely say just like, my, my appreciation for some of the small things, what were perceived as small prior to all of this are now like, you know, things that I don't take for granted at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've even talked about just like your, your quiet Saturday morning ritual of, uh, Oh yeah. I mean, just like, just like the slow process of, Pouring a, pouring a slow drip coffee on, on a Saturday morning, the act of like taking a vinyl from my, you know, my vinyl collection, throwing it on and just like sitting there on a, on a Saturday or Sunday morning when it's quiet, like that is really something that, that I've started to appreciate and enjoy. And like walks with Jackie and my dog are before it was like, Oh, we're, we're going to go walk the dog. And it was like, all right, we're going to walk the dog for this long. And then I have this to do. Where now it's just like each step, each, you know, action is just like enjoyed. You know, you know, you you can tell people who haven't experienced something like that, who haven't experienced like something that has altered their, their mindset for like the appreciation. Yeah. So I I think like you can definitely come out of like these struggles with just such a better outlook and understanding of like what's truly important in your life. Yeah. Well, and I think you did, so it's, you know, the kind of the same principle that, that you applied before of you can either focus on the cancer, you can focus on the recovery. Yeah. And I think that's true, you know, no matter what it is you're going through and it seems to be what you're, you're doing now is, I could either focus on, you know, the fact that I can't leave the house or I could focus on the good things that are here and that I could enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's definitely helped. I mean, still want to get out and see my people, but, you know, (laughs) um, but yeah, it's definitely helped. So good. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks for taking the time. Any closing thoughts or anything like that? 
No, just, I, I guess what I'd say is just like continue to challenge yourself every day. Come up with something that you can be better with today that you weren't yesterday. Good advice. Yeah. All right. Thanks, man. I'm in. You're listening to a podcast I produce for subscribers of my new newsletter, Adapt, which documents my pursuit of new talents, including songwriting, artificial intelligence, cancer recovery, starting businesses, cooking, wine appreciation, and whatever else strikes my fancy. Subscribers get access to this and future episodes in their favorite podcast app, limited edition products in the online shop, and monthly giveaways that raise money for some of our favorite charities. To me, being human is about being more than one thing. So if you've got some time and want to broaden your horizons, click the green subscribe button on your screen to subscribe for free and tell me what you want to learn about at seanj.net.